sources now in the White House say, no, we're not going to send the troops up. But it's just interesting to me that they would even consider it because the U.S. has the most new cases of COVID-19 in the world, 85,000. It seems doubtful that people would be trying to get into the U.S. from Canada. What do you think was the rationale behind this? So, look, this probably showed up in a briefing note as a series of options available to the president. And what militaries do in these sorts of circumstances is they plan for contingencies. We live in an uncertain world, and so militaries, if you're in a security business, you think, need to think about tomorrow and you need to think ahead. And so likely one of the concerns was what happens if either Border Patrol, uh, which is in charge of controlling the border on the U.S. side between ports of entry, if they get uh, large numbers of people falling sick, or, for instance, if they have large numbers of people on the southern border who fall sick, and then they need to redeploy some border patrol assets to the, uh, to the southern border. So they wanted to have some sort of fallback capacity. But of course, they already have that fallback capacity because all the people in Ottawa who are losing their marbles over sending soldiers to the, uh, uh, to the border, well, look, I mean, just across from where I live outside of Kingston in Gananoque, we have Fort Drum, which is 30,000 soldiers within a 20-minute drive of the Canadian border. And there are several large bases like that along the northern border. So ostensibly, one of the reasons this proposal never saw the light of day is that uh, there's lots of good good case to be made that if they do need to backfill, there's many resources, already military resources, on the border that the U.S. could deploy if they felt it was necessary. Yeah, Donald Trump's still leaning on the Easter deadline for getting back to work and starting the economy again, despite the grim reality of America being in the grips of this pandemic. Um, yesterday, about the U.S. Uh, troops possibly heading up to the Canadian border, he was uh, kind of implying that this had to do with steel. And he said, uh, I guess it's equal justice to a certain extent. You know, we have a lot of things coming in from Canada. We have trade, some illegal trade that we don't like. We have very strong sanctions on some. We have very strong tariffs on dumping steel. And we don't like steel coming through our border that's been dumped in Canada so they could avoid the tariff. Is this to Donald Trump, the idea of sending troops, you know, even just even if it wasn't going to happen, the idea that they would send troops up to the Canadian border? Would this be about holding a grudge for him? So, look, Trump is doing something that you never do in a relationship with a ally and trusted partner and neighbor, which is what's known as linkage. Um, so when you have issues that you try to negotiate uh, with friendly countries, you make sure that you keep these issues separate and you don't link them to one another. So any concerns that Trump might have about the border, whether valid or not, should always be addressed separately from any trade issues uh, that Trump may be, uh, may be looking to address. If anything, I wonder whether part of this proposal was as a way of sort of deflecting from some of the challenges that the White House is currently facing. And there's a long tradition going back to the late 19th century in the United States of blaming everything bad that happens in and to the United States to bad outside influences. And so if we can only seal off the United States, then we can somehow prevent all these bad things from happening. And I wonder whether this is part of the discourse uh, that Trump, a narrative that Trump is trying to sell, and whether this was sort of one of the elements uh, that was thought to support that discourse. But look, I mean, it was a thousand soldiers to begin with. Uh, There's not a whole lot you're going to be doing with a thousand soldiers uh, along a border that's span some 6,000 kilometers. No, except for send out a warning, like we're watching you and we're down here. Don't make any false moves. I mean, it seemed very uh, kind of uh, aggressive. 
Well, you're not going to get across this border anyways. The U.S. basically runs, I mean, at, on the southern border, it has a physical fence. On the northern border, the U.S. runs an electronic fence uh, between the sensors, between um, unmanned aerial uh, vehicles, uh, satellite surveillance, um, and various other forms, uh, including cameras, for instance. Nothing really happens at that border that the U.S. isn't already aware of. Uh, so sending extra personnel up there uh, wouldn't do much other than uh, genuinely having to if they felt they needed, there were more people that were going to come from Canada to try to track them down. Uh, but last year, Border Patrol, I mean, uh, arrested about a thousand people coming across the border. There's about twice as many people uh, that uh, uh, that were detained at other ports of entry. And of course, we know that we have about still uh, about 17 or so people a day. The uh, circumstances notwithstanding, coming across the border at La Colle, Quebec. So if anybody should be concerned about uh, irregular migration across the border. Border, it's uh, it's the northward flow that we should be concerned about, not the southbound flow. This is a global crisis. Should we be watching for other geopolitical shifts right now? Uh, absolutely. And I mean, there's uh, a considerable concern that as countries retreat and feel vulnerable, that this is going to cause uh, not just more tension uh, among countries, but also genuine conflict. And certainly one of the concerns, for instance, and this is also why uh, perhaps something that might have played into this proposal uh, is possible Russian meddling um, in the Baltic states taking advantage of this crisis. And so countries such as Canada, with regards to the militaries, are all about force preservation because we may still we need still need to assure credible deterrence for our adversaries and they're actively exploiting this crisis look if you look on the internet the uh, the misinformation that if you're under 30 you apparently can't get the virus uh, that's actively being spread by Russian troll farms the amplification of Trump touting various medicines on which people subsequently overdose that's being done by our adversaries and we've had very significant attacks on healthcare infrastructure uh, in France and the Czech Republic and um, um, we know that even within Canada, um, attempts at uh, trying to undermine our own infrastructure are up by about 450% from before the virus. So people are actively taking advantages of the virus to try to further divide our society, so chaos and so dissent. And, uh, and so we need to be aware of that, um, that uh, this is a time where we do need our military and our security and intelligence services to keep us safe. Uh, you brought up Russia. Russia sending help to Italy. Could they be trying to, you know, uh, gain some political influence there? Well, Italy has long had a very close relationship with uh, uh, Russia, in particular the previous uh, government and uh, uh, Matteo Salvini. Um, and so this is certainly a further effort by Russia to try to divide the European Union. And I think Russia has never seen a more opportune moment uh, to try to sow further dissension in the EU uh, than now. And that's also the reason why, for instance, countries such as China and Cuba were the ones that were happy to step up, um, given that uh, other European countries are already assisting. But for them, it's an opportunity to try to influence uh, the internal politics uh, of Italy at a very sensitive uh, time. And so absolutely, this is um, not by accident uh, that the Russians are uh, using this as a way to uh, meddle in internal uh, European affairs, while they themselves, of course, downplay and misinform uh, about the crisis uh, and the numbers in their own country.